And to you belongs all love, all truth, all power. All of it comes from you, and we worship you together this morning. And Father, we ask as we come to your word that you'd speak to us in the many different aspects that we face in our lives today. But even as we come, Lord, we want to pray for those among us who just need your touch and your healing. Think of the Herod family. Lord, for healing and recovery. Uh, thank you that you've kept them. Lord, thank you that the Benting family have recovered and are well. And Lord, we pray for others who may just need your healing grace right now. And we bless them with healing and full recovery in Jesus' name. And Father, this morning we also come and just pray for those who are mourning in our land today. We pray for those in pain, those who've suffered loss, or those who feel like they have no hope. Lord, won't you minister to them? And won't you do that through linking them to those who can point them to you as well? Lord, sometimes their needs are greater than ours to meet. And we ask that you will be sufficient. But Lord, wherever it is within our power, we ask that you would use us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So good morning, Explore. It's good to be with you. Thank you to the team again, helping us uh, bring this service to you. This morning, we're going to pause a bit on the Walkers Jesus Did series and the power of ministry, because I feel we need to take time to respond to the distressing events in our country in recent days culminating in the unrest and violence that swept through two of our provinces. Um, but although not in our province per se, and as Lindsay pointed out, there's other elements of cha uh, challenge and violence in our own. Nevertheless, these are of deep concern to us. They're deep concern to believers all over the world and indeed to people. Um, and, and it's a tough message as these events are not only distressing at a very, you know, kind of very personal way, but they overlap with economics and politics and historical debate and, and so much more. But it's precisely because we need to integrate our faith with these things because we believe that Jesus is Lord. Because we believe that he rules and reigns over every area and that our lives in particular, we want his rule and reign in and over every aspect of our lives. And even as I speak this morning, we, we gratefully acknowledge the huge turnaround response from everyday people in probably the last two or three days and probably more uh, as people have begun to respond with a desire to rebuild and to say to, uh, to the chaos and to the violence and to the destruction, enough, you will not pass. But it would be a mistake in the light of, as it were, that resolve and determination for us to simply think, oh, well, great, it's over, it's done, we can put this behind us and behave effectively as if it was a blip and of little consequence. I, I don't think we, we would be wise to handle it this way. Um, equally, as I speak this morning, and, I, and I'm aware it's a, a tough space to go in terms of preaching, because preaching, we want to kind of 
preach the word. We want to be, you know, nailing down the certainties. And I'm going to need you to be kind of with me in this, in which some of the stuff we're dealing with, we're dealing with uncertainties. We, we're not sure. And so discerning what to do and how to respond is part of a story and a journey. And so I offer this as a conversation joiner, as something that, and the conversation's going. Believe me, I'm catching up to the conversation. Um, so I offer it as part of the conversation, and it's certainly not the final word. However, when you sense from God's word and by his spirit that he's quickening this to you, recognize the innate authority that comes to us from God's word. And so we've got to be discerning, even as you listen to me uh, today. I recognize that fully. I don't have the full picture. But I want to remind us of a few things this morning that we have learned in our journey uh, in the Lord And they are, first of all, know and listen to and stay curious about the stories. It's really important that we're listening to what's going on. Secondly, recognize the real battle and where that is being fought. Thirdly, hold power and privilege to account. And fourthly, I want to just finish by saying God can use this for good. So uh, we're going to dive in there. I offer this as part of the conversation. Firstly, know the stories. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, To have an answer before listening, well, that is folly and shame. To have an answer before listening, well, that is folly and shame. And it's really important that we listen, that we hear the stories, not just the ideas, but the stories, and understand that these events that have that have hurt and shocked and traumatized us, have not happened in a vacuum. It's, a, it's complex and it's complicated. And if we were to even start to paint a picture, we would have to include the long shadows of our colonial history and their impact in this space and of the ongoing harm of, of the apartheid legislation and ideology and its fruit even today. We'd have to include more current things like the global COVID pandemic that has highlighted the terrible inequalities of the world, and yet especially in our own nation. Social unrest, sometimes called bread riots, often follow pandemics. When the existing conditions uh, become untenable for the poor, we also see, I think, the failed triumphalism of, the, of free market capitalism itself, which patted itself on the back when it won the Cold War. But as we look at the world, has simply created a pyramid scheme of obscene wealth for a tiny minority and an obscene poverty for a quarter of the world's population. For example, during this pandemic, we've seen that the wealth of the super-rich has multiplied exponentially while the numbers of the indigently poor has dramatically rocketed. And the system offers no resilience to the vulnerable. And so we've, we've got to ask questions about the system. And it seems almost heresy in the culture I come from to question free market capitalism, but it's not delivering the kind of outcomes we need. Now, immediately, I've got to say, 
we're simply describing and listening to the stories. I'm not sure I have all the answers, but we must listen. In addition, out of this is massive unemployment, which only exacerbates what my good friend from Lunga Baptist, Pastor Sipo Zondi, identifies as the greatest challenge of our country uh, in human terms. And he says it's simply this, inequality, massive, overwhelming, in and unsustainable inequality. And then add to this, as we listen, the wholesale corruption that has seen the repurposing of our state for the enrichment of a tiny elite at the expense of our national infrastructure, which would be needed right now to deliver and is under pressure to do so. Add to this the rightful imprisonment of our previous head of state for defying the rule of law. Add to this the unresolved racial and tribal tensions and race-based politics around us. All this and more gave us a very dry forest that only needed a spark. Sadly, it wasn't a spark, but a well-orchestrated simultaneous lighting of multiple bonfires. I don't want to sound insensitive to anyone suffering and struggling right now, but part of the mystery of this week is that the unrest did not spread further, given the story, as you listen to it. That seven provinces defied the instigators in spite of being part of most of those broad conditions just described, is actually something to be deeply grateful for and is significant. So it's important to try and understand something of the backstory. These events didn't simply come out of nowhere and explode. They've been all around us. And so now, even as the police and the military impose a kind of order, we must, those of us who love shalom and the wholeness of God, Recognize that we have much wider work to do as a nation when we listen to the stories. Any plans that take us into a meaningful future must address these factors. And so all this to say, if you've given in to the temptation this week to blame everything that's going on on one or two people or groups or factors... Well, then, like me, you're probably part of the problem and not the solution. We really do need to listen to the stories. We need to understand how we are in a space that now feels, quite frankly, at times, overwhelming. But when we listen, we begin to discern a path forward on some of those individual matters that have nevertheless become a complex whole. But as we listen, we realize that inside those individual aspects are points that take us forward, which, which leads me to the next point. And this is, in a sense, uniquely a Christian framing. Paul writes uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, sorry, let me give you the title again, recognize the real enemy. <laughs> know where the real fight is happening. Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And, and we need to be strong. 
And he calls us to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes or methods, literally. And then he says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, meaning people. (laughs) As believers, we're not fighting against people, but against rulers, against authorities. And just when we're thinking, okay, so this is against our government, he says, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, if you remember last year, we looked at the book of Revelation and how, as it were, the governing powers of empire can form coalitions and actually become hideous expressions, beasts, that partner with demonic intent. And a biblical worldview recognizes that our struggle is not with other people. Our struggle is for them against these ideas and thoughts and actions that cause so much destruction and harm. But in our struggle for them, if we are going to stand strong in our faith, we must master our own hearts and minds and overcome the very things that would feed the enemy's agenda. Things like fear, and blame, and shame, and anger, and all the other motives that are inside the unrest. We can't partner with it. We need to stand firm to overcome an enemy who takes captive those with whom he can find agreement. They may not even realize they've sold their their true power because he's giving them, as in the book of Revelation, a temporary power and influence. And so our enemy can use people to destroy, and in the process he destroys those he uses. He's the exact opposite. God can use people to bring life, and as he does so, he gives life to those he uses. So Jesus warns us in John 10 verse 10, the thief, meaning the devil ultimately, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Now, our real battle then is to embrace the forgiveness and repentance required to live in the opposite spirit to our true enemy. You see, if he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the opposite of theft is not preventing loss. What's the opposite of that? It's outrageous generosity. I have come to give. I've come to lay down even to the point of seemingly impossible, even life itself. And so the opposite of taking life is laying down our lives in love like Jesus did. And the opposite of this destruction is willingly giving life, building up and blessing all and in our context, especially those taken captive to do his will. Why? Because we're fighting not against, but for flesh and blood. Remember from last week when we were wrapping up the Good Samaritan parable, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So, dear children, let us not love with words or speech only, as it were, but with actions and in truth. 
And so the things that would keep us from living like this are actually the real enemy we must fight. And if we expect others to rise above race and party politics and put our country and its people first, then we must show them how. And we must not only forgive those who've exploited our deep vulnerabilities as a nation, but we must repent of any ways in which we've done the same. And so in order to overcome the enemy out there, we first have to submit ourselves to God. Come near to him. Let him come near to us in the language of James 4, where we humble ourselves and deeply Deeply repent and forgive. As we master ourselves so we find that we have something to give to others. Then the, the third thing is that we are to hold power and privilege to account. Our society and nation simply has to learn to do a better job of what God himself does. God holds power and privilege to account. So Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, Jesus says this... Uh, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And so you've, you've been entrusted with influence or power or privilege in some way. The idea of Scripture is that you have a double responsibility, an extra accountability. Now Romans 13 verse 4 describes our civil and political leaders, and you may not think this, but this is the framework of a biblical worldview, as God's servants who must govern for the good of the people. And you can go back and look at Romans 13. I haven't got time to go there. But their authority is legitimate to the extent that they fulfill this mandate to be God's servants who govern for the good of the people they govern. And we have the constitutional means in our country to hold them to account. Which means we will be held responsible for how we exercise the privilege and responsibility that we have. So, so key tests are pertinent at this stage. And this is about power and privilege. And, and sometimes... We're, we're left struggling because promises are being made and, and then you're kind of left wondering now, will this work or, or whatever? And, and sometimes it's, you want to know what's in the heart of people so that you can actually make godly choices. I think some key tests are pertinent at this point and one of them surely must be the question of whether our governing party will act against any of its leaders and members who have been shown to be part of this lawlessness. And if that party will do that, regardless of the political fallout and consequences to itself. If it chooses that, well then we've got a litmus test of whether our president and his party can be trusted. If they'll place their commitment to our country and its people ahead of any endeavors to maintain power over their own political party. So those in power must be challenged to stop playing chess with our lives and our livelihoods. 
as if this week the deaths of 200 people can be rationalized as a necessary part of playing the long game to consolidate power. We also, as South Africans, need to be careful of manifesting the Stockholm Syndrome. Often in, in, in literally being free, we have to look at the emotional ties, attachments, and drivers inside of us. So what's the Stockholm Syndrome? It's a psychological response that some hostages have when they bond with their captors. The very people that have taken them into their hostage situation and they bond emotionally with them, especially when they receive some kind of temporary improvement in their situation. And so these hostages end up defending their captors even as they're being held hostage by them. And I've seen this in myself. Now you say, what? (laughs) Well, let me ask you a question. Should we really be grateful that we have the army on our streets? Now, when that first was announced, it was like huge relief. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm being held hostage. (laughs) I've got the same kind of dynamics playing out here. Of course, we need them. But it's precisely because our ruling power is not functioning well that it's needed. And let's be clear, this power is not just political. The power that heals our country can't just be left to the politicians. It just can't be left to big business or to anybody else. There's a privilege and a responsibility that falls to all of us. And so we must hold ourselves to account, even as we hold power and privilege to account in the name of the Lord. Can we generously give of ourselves and share the privileges and benefits we enjoy? Remember, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And that takes me to my last point, which is God can use this for good. (laughs) I just absolutely believe that this doesn't have to be the end of all good things, it can actually become the beginning if we will respond aright. You know, in the closing lines of the Genesis story, Joseph reassures his brothers of his love and forgiveness, love for and forgiveness of them, in spite of the fact that they terribly mistreated him and sold him into slavery. And part of the reason he can do this is the confidence that God is at work for good in all things. Joseph says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being, now being done, the saving of many lives. Now let's be very clear. I mean, I've heard some rather dodgy interpretations of this passage. God does not have evil intentions. Those come from the people in the story, namely in this story, Joseph and his brothers. But God has have the power and the innate goodness of his nature to repurpose evil, to take what others meant for evil, and to turn it for good. And he does so not by waving a wand in heaven. Now, this is what is so empowering. He does so through Joseph-like characters throughout history. 
People who refuse to give in to grievance and become embittered. People who, like Joseph, are willing to repent of any way they've been part of it and to forgive others for their part in the pain. People who will offer love and protection and provision as Joseph does in that passage and reconciliation to those who have caused him pain. And this is not just Joseph. As you go through Scripture, you see this kind of conduct, whether it is in Naaman's wife's slave girl who points her captors towards healing and hope in the name of Yahweh. And they seek out the God of Israel, and Naaman is healed and restored. But supremely the picture of those who will forgive and heal and reconcile surely is in the person of Jesus himself who comes to a world that has caused untold pain and he's willing not to be angry or to shame us but literally to lay down his life to redeem us historians tell us how various tribes invaded southern Europe over several Uh, centuries as the Roman Empire declined and fell. And there too, cities were looted and burned. And unlike South Africa, many, many Christians were taken as slaves, especially the women. The men generally weren't allowed to live. And precisely because these slaves, mainly women, remained fiercely loyal to their faith, Because they were loyal to their faith. (laughs) The historians tell us they refused to become bitter or harbor resentment. Instead, they chose to forgive and serve their new masters who had taken away their way of life as they had known it up to that point. The same historians tell us how tribe after tribe, record how tribe after tribe would soon begin converting to Jesus after taking into captivity slaves that revealed Jesus. And the history of Europe was rewritten (laughs) not so much by their conquests, but by the conquest of the crucified one who through his servants showed his love and forgiveness to those tribes. Now it was a long haul. But if the West had, and I I think it's a bit past tense now, but if the West had any Christian legacy, it's rooted deeply in that response to trauma and loss in which people refuse to become angry and blaming and bitter. And instead, even to those who had taken uh, them into their captivity, had shown not some kind of Stockholm syndrome, but rather the faith and the strength not to surrender what they believed was right. And so in his name to bring forgiveness and hope and a future. You see, God was there through his people using for good what others had clearly intended as harm. I'm convinced he can still do so through us today. If we will take Paul's words in Ephesians 6 to heart, 
and stand firm in our faith. If we will refuse bitterness, refuse prejudice, and give ourselves to love, to serve, to reconcile, and to demonstrate in our actions the gospel itself. Let's pray together. As I was preparing, I had a picture of, of, of literally explore people in your homes kneeling, kneeling to pray, kneeling to pray for our nation, kneeling to pray for ourselves, kneeling to surrender. And if that will help you pray, then I invite you to kneel. Lord, we humble ourselves before you today. Lord, we are grateful that the worst of this violence has passed, that people are standing up to build, and even on Mandela Day, that they, they're wanting to do what is right and good. But Father, we recognize that so much more, so much more is needed, so much more is required. Lord, we recognize the battle does not start out there, it actually starts in us to so internalize and own this journey of righteousness and reconciliation. And Lord, we realize that there are voices in the stories that we have ignored. And today we ask for your forgiveness. Help us to listen and to listen well and to listen deeply and truly. Save us from the fear of hearing what people really think. Lord, we also ask your forgiveness if we've been part of the problem, if we've found easy answers and people to blame and shame, if we've given anger or bitterness any resting place in us, we want to say no in Jesus' name. We cut that off. We nail that to the cross of Jesus. We break agreements with it. And we ask you, God, send it away from us. And in its place, won't you release a fresh flow of your love that drives out the fear, that conquers the shame, and that reconciles a world in desperate need to the God who is sufficient to every need. Lord, we pray that you would make us your people, truly your hands and feet. Lord, won't you bring healing to our land, and won't you do that through us? Let the Lord minister to you as we, as we wait on him. Come, Holy Spirit. Minister the healing and hope that we need and then release it through us, we pray in Jesus' name.